0: All right, let's all say praise the Lord together. One, two, three. Praise Praise the Lord. Lord. Okay, one announcement. I I just wanted to start the meeting before we made the announcement here. Uh, Change in schedule. Um, The second sharing will be at 5 p.m., so we'll have a break after I'm done, and then we'll start the second sharing at 5 p.m., and then we'll have dinner right after that, and then we'll be done. So a little change of schedule uh, that's kind of shortening the day a little bit. Um, so that's the change of schedule 5 p.m. will be the second message after this one we'll have a break second message dinner and then we'll kind of be we'll we'll wrap it up okay okay everyone should have an outline make sure you have that does everyone got that if you need one please raise your hand I don't want you to miss out on the verses we've got all right good let's uh, read the title together ready set go enjoyment functioning building all right one more time go Okay, so these four words, um, I want you to be impressed. These four words summarize the entire book of 1 Corinthians. So we just started our, our Bible reading in 1 Corinthians today, if you're tracking along with us. Yeah. We're in 1 Corinthians, and these four words, if you get these four words today, you've got the whole book in your pocket. Amen. And not only that, you've actually got an orientation and a direction for the rest of your Christian life, specifically in view, this is amazing, specifically in view of all your problems. These four words will solve all your problems. Do you believe that? Yeah, man. Okay, the reason we can say that is because First Corinthians, on one hand, is a book of problems. Uh, it, was a prob- <laughs> it was a problematic city, number one. And then when the Lord came, uh, and then when Paul came and preached the gospel. In Acts, when Paul was there, I think he stayed there, I think, for a year and a half. And the Lord told him, I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. And Corinth was known as a very licentious, fleshly, philosophical city. They had the Isthmian Games, which was like the Olympic Games. It was a very active um, bodily competition. They also had a lot of philosophers there uh, with with philosophy in the mind. And they also had a lot of... uh, very sinful pagan god, pagan goddess worship. So a temple of Athena was there. Very sinful. It employed a thousand prostitutes. So this is the background. This is the background. And think about it. The Lord came in there through Paul with the gospel, and people believed in the Lord. People repented, believed in the Lord, received him, and a church life got raised up there. Now, after Paul left, he started getting all these reports about all the problems they're having. They're having lawsuits among the brothers. There's a division going on in the church. There's people coming to the Lord's table uh, drunk. There's people uh, just gross fornication. There's some people who said there's no resurrection. So, I mean, that overthrows the entire Christian faith. So, a lot of, lot of negative situations. And imagine you're Paul. These are, these are your children. Uh, you raise them up in the Lord. What are you going to write to them to address all these problems they're telling you about? What would you do? We may come in with a lot of harsh words with a lot of reprimands, with a lot of um, rearrangements. Paul's word and Paul's solution to this problematic church is you need to enjoy Christ. That's what Paul's burden was. You need to enjoy Christ. And the burden in 1 Corinthians is that the enjoyment of Christ solves all problems in the church. The enjoyment of Christ. The reason we have so many problems is because we are short in our enjoyment of Christ. And when we're short on enjoying Christ, when we're short on knowing Christ, uh, we get distracted from God's center and our God-given portion and a lot of other negative things come in. So Paul is recovering the church back to Christ. How about let's pray, Lord, recover me back to Christ. Lord, recover me back to Christ. Okay, so this message on the enjoyment of Christ, I know some of you guys maybe have heard of it. Maybe some of y'all haven't heard of it. A lot of Christians talk about Believing in Christ, trusting in Christ, worshiping Christ, but the central focus in the New Testament is we need to enjoy Christ. We need to enjoy Christ. We don't just need to trust in Him objectively for what He's done in the past. We need a real-time, present, daily, moment-by-moment enjoyment of Christ. And if we enjoy Christ, all the problems in our human life and Christian life will be solved. All right, so let's read this um, italicized sentence. This is going to sum up the whole uh, two messages today Chris will share after me. I'm going to share on the first two words, enjoyment and growth, Chris will show on functioning and building. And all these words, again, summarize 1 Corinthians, and there's a kind of a progression here. So let's read all together the the italicized portion. You all see that? Ready, set, go. Isn't that an awesome sentence? So awesome. This summarized the entire book of 1 Corinthians. So really the two takeaways here is you need to do two things. That's what the burden is. You need to enjoy Christ, number one. And if you enjoy Christ, that will have an issue. You will grow in life. The reason we're not growing that much, or maybe not as growing as fast as the Lord wants us to grow, is because we're lacking on our enjoyment of Christ. So first takeaway is you need to enjoy the Lord. Second takeaway is you need to... Let the Lord develop your function. Function, that's the second big takeaway. And if you function, if you come into your function in Christ, the church will be built up. So we need to enjoy Christ and we need to function. That's the burden this morning or today. And there will be two issues of that, growth and building. All right, let's go ahead and look at enjoyment here. Let's read the verse. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 2. Ready, set, go. Okay, underline, if you got a pen, you probably want, want to be using your pen. Underline, or at least mentally underline, theirs and ours. Theirs and ours. What this is saying is uh, Christ is theirs and ours. In other words, Christ is the portion of all believers. He's our portion, and He's the portion of every believer in the world. God has given us one thing. That is Christ. So Christ is the God-given portion of all believers. And since Christ is God's portion to us... We need to focus on Christ. Yeah. We need to be centered on Christ. Every day of our life, we need to find the Lord. Okay, and 1 Corinthians, we'll see in just one second, is going to open up a marvelous vista, revelation of Christ in his all-inclusiveness. Okay, so let's look at the second verse, Ephesians 3 Let's read that. Ready, set, go. All right, so underline this phrase, the unsearchable riches of Christ. If you were to ask Paul, Paul, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? What's the good news to the fallen world? It's not just Christ died for your sins. That's only base, basic. That's point one. Actually, that's actually one point of the real gospel. The real good news is that Christ is unsearchably rich. Not only has he died for your sins, that's only one aspect of his riches. What about after you've believed in the Lord? You still have problems. So Christ is unsearchably rich to meet every problem in the church life. And Paul's burden in 1 Corinthians is unveiling the all-inclusiveness of Christ. Isn't that awesome? So the more you know, the more revelation and experience you have of Christ, the more gospel you have. The more you know Christ, the more you see Christ, the more you experience Christ, the more good news you have. And now I want you to think about this. I want you to think about this. How many aspects of Christ do we really know and enjoy? If I were to ask you to stand up, you know, um, Hudson, if I were to ask you to stand up and just tell me, tell me as many aspects of Christ as you know. I mean, how many do you think you'd get to? (laughs) Right now I'd be like a lot maybe. I mean, without looking at the paper, of course. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think if you were to ask most Christians, hey, who is Christ? Who is Christ? Tell me everything you know about who this person is. You know, I think people would say he's our redeemer, he's our savior, he's our Lord, he's our king. Maybe a little bit more advanced believers would say he's our prophet and he's our priest. Um, but after that, what else is he? Maybe someone will say he's the head of the church, maybe, you know. That'd probably be pretty advanced. Okay, the New Testament has over 300 aspects of who Christ is. Over 300 aspects of the person of Christ. And that is God's portion to us for our enjoyment and experience. God has so much Christ. We need to come up to the biblical standard of who Christ is. Do we know this Christ? That's point one. And number two, if we know him, do we experience him? So, for instance, um, I wish Connor was here today. He couldn't make it. Me and him are studying the book of Hebrews this entire semester. And let me tell you this. Have you ever heard that Christ is an apostle? Have you ever heard that? Hebrews 3.1, holy brothers, consider the apostle and high priest of our calling, Jesus. Jesus is an apostle. What does that mean? Kelly, have you ever heard that? What does that mean? (laughs) Jesus is an apostle for us. It's amazing. If, If you get into it, it's amazing. Compared to Moses, Moses was sent by God in Egypt, to Egypt. He was the first apostle in the Bible. Apostle means sent one. God sent Moses to the children of Israel in Egypt to do what? Somebody tell me, why did God send Moses to Egypt? That's only part one. It's only part one. Do y'all hear what Carl said? Bring the people out from Egypt. Bring them to the good land. And bring them to the good land. Okay, now think about this. If Christ is an apostle and he's compared to Moses as an apostle, and the Bible says he's superior to Moses, ask, ask yourself what would most Christians respond to this answer? Why did God send Jesus? Wouldn't most people say to save us from the slavery and tyranny of sin? and rescue us from the world and redeem us so we can experience our Passover and have our sins cleansed and get out of there? Isn't that what most people would say? But that is not the only reason why God sent Moses. And that's not the only reason why God sent Christ. God sent Christ to bring us out of our sin and out of the world, but also to bring us into the good land for the building up of the church, his dwelling place. So how many of us know Christ as our apostle, Yes, we've been saved from sin, but have we been brought into the destination of God's calling, which is the full enjoyment of Christ for the building up of the church? In this way, Hebrews 3.1 directly correlates to 1 Corinthians. We'll see that. So we need to ask ourselves, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I, always, <laughs> I always do this. Sometimes when I go to a restaurant, you know, like if you go to Torchy's Tacos in Austin, you know, I, I, I discovered my, my favorite taco, I think, the second time I went there the brush fire. Anybody ever had the brush fire? Love it. You know, it's got the it's got the chicken, it's got the jalapeno, and it's got the mango to kind of undercut the jalapeno. Love it. I love it. I always get it on flour and you get that habanero sauce so ooh, spicy but sweet. I love it. I pretty much only get the the brush fire. I stick to the brush fire. But guess what? The torchie's menu is bigger than the brush fire. So we need to ask ourselves How big is our menu of Christ? We keep ordering the same item of Christ. And that's not wrong to order our Redeemer, our Savior, quote, quote, you know, enjoy Him in those aspects. But let's look at the biblical menu that God can cook Christ, in a sense, and present Him to us for our enjoyment in over 300 ways. Isn't that amazing? Okay, so that's the burden of Paul in 1 Corinthians. We'll see in 1 Corinthians alone, he shows us 20 items of Christ for our enjoyment and experience. Okay, and I was asking myself this as I was getting into this this message: Why don't why don't we enjoy Christ in His all inclusiveness? Why don't we enjoy more Christ? Have you ever thought about that? I was I was really asking myself: Why don't I experience more Christ? So I came up with two items. First one is lack of revelation. Right. Lack of revelation. Yeah. It's there in the Bible. We've read the verses, but the Lord's light hasn't penetrated us, shined on that verse, and unveiled. This is an item of Christ for your experience, for your enjoyment. So lack of revelation. I want to tell you a quick story. Uh, a couple years ago, the Washington Post did an uh, experiment, um, and I'll tell you what the experiment was. They wanted to test um, what, is, what, what difference does context Perception and priority make in our recognition of somebody. Context, priority, and perception. And here's what the experiment was. They took, um, does any, did anybody ever play a violin growing up? I know someone did, right? You played violin growing up? Wow. A couple of other people? So has anyone heard of Joshua Bell? A couple of people have. I, I never heard of him, but he is a virtuoso violinist. He's like the top in the world. And here's the experiment. Will anybody recognize Joshua Bell, the greatest violinist in the world, playing the greatest classical music in the world on the greatest guitar in the world, music written by the greatest composer in the world? If we put him in a DC Metro subway in uh, in um, you know common clothing, leaning up against a dirty tile wall, will anybody stop and recognize? The greatness here. Yeah. Okay, so do y'all, y'all get the, the experiment here? That's what they're going to do. They're going to put Joshua Bell in rags, leaning against the, the, the dirty tile during mor- the morning commute rush hour, just making that violin cry, laugh, rejoice, dance on his bowstring, <laughs> playing the greatest music in the world. That, let me tell you, a couple days before, Joshua Bell was playing in the Boston... Uh, I wrote this down here. The Boston Symphony Hall audience yeah. to a packed out audience of 2,625 people where the cheapest seat sold for $100. So people are shelling out. And you could hear a pin drop. You couldn't hear a pin drop because no one was dropping pins. Everyone was so enthralled. <laughs> Everyone was captivated. Listening to Joshua Bell make that violin just weep. Make it laugh. Make it rejoice. I don't know. You know, violin's beautiful. Violin's beautiful. I love playing weddings if it's piano and violin together. It's awesome. So they asked this. They asked this uh, conductor of the symphony. They said, all right, this is what we're going to do. And they asked him, how many people do you think will stop and listen? You know, you're walking by. There's the guy. How many people do you think will stop and listen to Joshua Bell? Okay, a couple days before he played to a packed-out audience, the guy makes, makes $1,000 a minute during these performances? Of course, you know, he doesn't keep playing all day, but you know, during the whatever three hour performance, he's making a thousand bucks a minute to play. And they asked, they asked this conductor, professional conductor, he knows who Joshua Bell is, so he's obviously, Whoa, oh my goodness. They said, how much money do you think he's gonna make? So he, he said this big amount, he said this big amount. And when they did the experiment, um, when they did the experiment, a thousand people passed by during the during the hour or so he was playing, I mean, directly by him, and um, less than 20 people stopped to listen, and a couple people felt some gratitude and chunked a couple quarters his way, and in the hour, he made $32, and the night before, he made $1,000 a minute. Why? Why didn't anybody recognize the greatness of this person? Why didn't anybody recognize lack of revelation? They didn't know who he was. How many of us realize the greatness of Christ? How many people are walking by Christ without even turning their head? People walk by Christ every day of their life. We're out there telling people about Christ, and no one's even stopping to listen. So we want to be saved. Lord, give me revelation. Increase my revelation of who you are. Okay, what's our second problem? What's our second problem? Our first problem the, the reason we don't experience Christ, lack of revelation. Our second problem is lack of dependence, insufficient dependence. And so, although we may see Christ, we may be beginning to see Christ, we may not realize how much we need Him. And so, because of that, we don't depend on Him. God sent us not only a Savior, but a person to lead us into His eternal purpose, and we don't even recognize our need for Him. So... In my experience, I'm starting to realize that anytime the Lord wants to reveal a new aspect of Christ to us, He will give us a simultaneous revelation of our need for Him. So He may lead us through a negative experience to expose us, to expose how needy we are, so that when the revelation comes, we will recognize our need for Christ. Amen. Okay, so so awesome. So, this is the unsearchable riches of Christ as the gospel. Okay, let's go, on to, um, let's go on to look at some of these riches here in 1 Corinthians. So, y'all see in the box here, this is the 20 items. Let's just do this. Let's have brothers and sisters alternate. We'll read through these, and I'll just make a couple comments on some of them. So, let's just alternate, brothers, sisters. You'll just read the thing, don't read the uh, actual verse reference. Brothers, ready, set, go. Our, Our God given portion. Our, dream. Our rock. The head. The, body. the first fruits of resurrection. The second man. The last Adam. The giving spirit. Wow! Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? What a revelation of Christ. Okay, so let's, let's take a look at some of these and see how can we come into the enjoyment of this Christ who's revealed to us. Let's look at number two, God's power. God's power. I love this one. Okay. Christ is God's power. What does that mean? You know, I was telling some of the bros that I worked for the Texas Rangers my senior year as the Bat Boy. You know, the Texas Rangers, for some of you sisters, it's a baseball team. So I don't know if you all knew that. <laughs> Professional baseball team in Arlington. Uh, never been that great, but they've always had an all-star cast. Anyways, my senior year, I worked there every home game, 81 home games. 1st uh, name basis with the players, A-Rod, all these guys, um, Frank Frank Calinato. Um, I I would basically work a 10-hour day on game day, um, and I I realized I was basically making nothing because I was making $50 a day at 10 hours. You know, that's basically going down towards almost zero per hour, you know, $0 per hour almost. But I got a lot of experiences. I got all the autographs I wanted. Anyways, great great stories came out of that. And I think most athletes will recognize this, but uh, they had an amazing workout room there in, in the clubhouse. And they had a whiteboard, like, about this big. And uh, I walked in one week, and there was a verse reference wrote on, on, the, uh, on the whiteboard. I was, I was actually kind of shocked because, I mean, some of the stories they were telling were just horrible, horrible stories. And uh, I was like, wow, it's a verse. And I was like, I was totally shocked. All right, what verse was written on that whiteboard? If you're an athlete, I mean, you know. T-Walk, what verse was written on there? Philippians oh, Philippians 4.13. Philippians 413. I can do all things through him who empowers me. So when you're on that bench press, you're like, Lord, I can do all things. Ah! Getting those dumbbells, I can do all things. You know, you know, rod was in little slump. He's like, man, Philippians 4.13, I can hit 300, you know, batting average. I can do all things. That's, that's our natural concept of God's power. <laughs> I can do all things. In, him. I can, in other words, I can lift weights. I can make all A's. You know, through, all, through him who empowers me. That's not what's in view here. Let me, let me put it like this. Um, how about you're at, you're at the prayer meeting? Uh, Wednesday night, you're at the prayer meeting, and you've had a rough day. Maybe your roommate some, said something, too, was just getting on your nerves, really getting under your skin. I mean, the classic example, not doing the dishes for the third day. And uh, you're there in the prayer meeting, and you're just bothered. You're just in your mood. You know, the hardest thing to get out of, for girls and guys, I I know, because I've been stuck, the hardest thing to get out of is mood. You're just in a bad mood. And everyone looks like they're enjoying the Lord, and the more they smile and enjoy the Lord and say, praise the Lord, the deeper you go, oh. I mean, the laughter proves you've been there. And you're going, oh, why are they enjoying the Lord? You know, just, but, I mean, you're there at the prayer meeting. You know what you need at that moment? You need God's power. You need God to blast you out of your mood, into your spirit. That's why Ephesians 3.16, Paul prayed that the Father would strengthen us with power into our inner man. That means to get out of the, the reasonings, to get out of the rationality, to get out of the offense, to get out of the mood, to get out of the stubbornness, which, are, which is all in your soul, and to get blasted into your spirit. Amen. So when next time you're there, you just need to pray by faith, Lord, empower me into my spirit. Amen. Thank you. You are God's power. See, if we didn't realize that Christ is God's power, we might not experience him like that. But now that we get that revelation, at least we're oriented And we can start making progress to enjoying Him as our power. Isn't that awesome? I love that. I love that. We have a spirit of power because Christ is the power of God in our spirit. All right, let's look at another one here. Uh, Number eight, the depths of God. The depths of God. Did you realize God has depths? You realize God has depths? Has anybody seen those motivational posters with the iceberg? Anybody ever seen that? And, you know, what's the point they're making? It's just you're only scratching the surface. Exactly. I I don't know what the stat is, but it's like 10% or maybe 30% of the iceberg is above water. And then the rest is just, you know, it just goes down. It's pretty amazing. I saw one with like something like unseen depths that was written at the bottom. So Christ is the depths of God. Isn't that amazing? And we'll see at the end here. Uh, that means Christ is all these deep things of God for our experience. And 1 Corinthians 2.9, we'll, we'll really look at it in a little bit. It says, Things which eye has not seen. You haven't seen the bottom of that iceberg. We haven't seen the bottom of Christ. Things which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, and has not even come up in man's heart. Things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Who love Him. For the Spirit searches all things even the depths of God. So when we say, Lord Jesus, I love you, the Spirit is activated to do active research, to go down to a deep-seep dive into God's depths and bring up a new aspect of Christ for our enjoyment. Isn't that awesome? The depths of God, active research. This Greek word implies accurate knowledge gained by exploring. The Spirit of God explores the depths of God concerning Christ and shows them to us in our spirit for our realization and participation. Isn't that amazing? All right, let's look at one, uh, two more here. Let's look at number 14. Uh, no, yeah, 14, the spiritual rock. Spiritual rock. So I've always loved this one. The first time I heard this, I always loved it. I always loved this aspect of Christ. In the Old Testament, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that in the wilderness journey, which lasted 40 years, guess what? A rock was following them. So imagine enchanted rock, you know? I mean, I just imagine the conversations you're like in the, in the, in the camp, you know, you're laying down at night before you go to bed and you're like, dude, uh, you notice that rock? Um, I'm pretty sure we passed out a week ago. And you're like, nah, dude, that's a new rock. And you're like, I think it's following us. (laughs) Paul says the rock followed them. Enchanted rock, man. A year later, you're like, it's still there. I mean, a little creepy. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, get this. 1 Corinthians 10.4, the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. Okay, that rock was smitten by Moses' rod and outflowed living water to quench the people's thirst. So what does this mean to experience Christ as our rock who follows us? It means in any situation, you're not there alone. Christ is following you into that environment. And the the reason he's following you into that environment, so he could supply you with living water. And the thing we need to do is, since the rock is following us, we need to turn to the rock. We need to turn to the Lord, and we need to speak to the Lord. Lord, here I am. Thank you for following me into this tough situation. Lord, supply me. Flow yourself into my spirit. Isn't that a juicy portion? Love that. The brothers shared that when I was in college. I've never forgotten it. Okay, last one I want to look at is number 15, the head. 15, the head. The head here is actually the head of every individual believer. If you look at the context of this chapter, it's not actually the head of the body of Christ per se, in that sense. That's normally how we think of the head. Here it says, the Lord is the head of every man, every individual believer. And the Lord touched me with this when I was working. Um, I was working after college uh, in architectural engineering. And when the economy uh, tanked, I got laid off. And it was a rough experience. I, was, I mean, I was in tears. Me and my wife, we had a mortgage that was really dependent on both of our incomes. And I was, I mean, I, I got called into the office. I was working that morning. Can you believe that? And I knew there was going to be a layoff, and people started getting getting called into the office. And I just thought, you know what? I better just put my pen down and see what happens. And sure enough, they go, uh, Kyle Barton, please come to the front front office. So, man, I just walked up there, and they let me go. They said, walk out of here with your head high. You know, it's nothing you did. Just business, you know. We'll try and call you back in a couple months. Packed a box before we even lunch. The worst thing was... I had to repack my lunch that was in the office fridge and take it back home. Horrible. It was was embarrassing. And to make matters worse, my whole family was in town, and they were at my house in the morning. And I'm driving back home, and I was just praying, Lord, please don't let them be home. I was like, Lord, please just just give me some minutes to just, you know, crawl up in a corner. And guess what? I walk in the front door, and my mom's like, why are you home so early? And I was like, I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. Anyways, I told him I lost my job. So anyways, when you lose your job, what do you do? I mean, after you cry and you kind of, <laughs> you're just like, oh. What do you do when you lose your job, right? You look for a new job. So I was just looking for a new job. And I was at, we were in the home meeting at the Manifolds, and it was so sovereign to the Lord. We were reading in the Life Study of Genesis on the part, the, co- the reason for man's first fall, the reason for man's first fall, and the reason for man's first fall was that Eve didn't consult her head. Yeah, right. She didn't consult her head and engaged with the serpent directly. Yeah. Now that's not a, a slander on the females. We all do that. Yeah. We don't consult Christ our head. Yeah. And I was just going in, you know I was just going in autopilot, going, "Well, I lost my job, I need a new job." And the Lord touched me with that. He said, you need to slow down and you need to consult me. I'm in this. And then after a couple months, I was praying with some brothers and I realized the Lord came into my life and graciously, he graciously removed that job. And because of that, I went to the training, I went to the Bible college, and now I'm serving the Lord. I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. And I was in danger of missing it because I was living on autopilot. And about to not consult my head. So, anyways, I love this point. He's our head. Consult him in everything. Consult him in everything. Amen. Okay, let's go on here. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 1 9. This is going to be a really good portion. Let's read the verse together. God is faithful. Okay, fellowship is a word that has, uh, in general, been spoiled by long-term usage by believers, and most people don't really know what this word means. So I'm going to ask, does anybody who hasn't gotten into this with somebody and someone's told them exactly what it means, does anybody know what fellowship means? Does anybody, what does fellowship mean? Kelly, do you got anything? I'm going to let you answer Okay. <laughs> Taylor, do you got any guesses? Uh, fellowship, being with the body. Okay, being with the body. That's not bad. That's actually really good. That's definitely one aspect. Anybody else have anything? What does fellowship mean? Specifically, in view of this verse, God has called us into the fellowship of his son. What does that mean? Yeah. To, be, to be fellows. To be, to be fellows. Okay. That's, uh, that's actually pretty close. To be fellows. Anybody, anybody got anything else? Omar, what you got? To be what? Be to behold? Be to be called. Okay, but it says God called us into fellowship. So, what's the fellowship God called us into? See, we should never take for granted the biblical words because it's God's revelation to us. Okay, let me tell you, fellowship means, mainly means two things. Fellowship means joint participation. That's number one, joint participation, and it means mutual enjoyment. Joint participation and mutual enjoyment. So what this, is, what this verse is saying is God has called us into the joint participation and the mutual enjoyment of the Son. Now, let me ask you this. What is the joint and the mutual referring to? Normally, I always thought that means here's all these brothers. We've all been called into the fellowship of the Son. So here we are jointly, mutually enjoying the Son. And there is that aspect. There is that aspect. But mainly what's in view here is the, the direction of the joint and mutual is not here, but here which means we participate in God's son and God's son participates in us. We enjoy God's son and God's son enjoys us. Did you realize that God enjoys you? God enjoys you and God participates in you. This is amazing revelation. So this thought, God has called us to this, to enjoy Christ and God has called us for Christ to enjoy us. This should liberate us in our times with the Lord from trying to think of bad things to say about ourselves. It's possible to spend your entire time with the Lord and leave more discouraged than when you started being with the Lord because you just look at yourself, go, I'm a a failure, I'm an idiot. How could I do that? And you just spend your time flagellating yourself, beating yourself, thinking you're going to impress God the more bad things you say about yourself. You need to say, Lord, I did do that. Thank you for the blood. I confess, yep. and I'm back. Right. Lord, I'm back to enjoy you, Amen. and I'm back for you to enjoy me. Amen. Okay, now if you're, not impre- if, you're, if you're not quite convinced yet, I've got a couple verses. Let's look at these here. Yeah. Psalm 1611 is going to show our enjoyment of Christ. I love this. They're both in the same chapter. And chapter 16, and uh, verse 3, is going to show the Lord's enjoyment of us. Yeah. All right, so let's read 1611. Ready, set, go. Okay, stop there. So this is our enjoyment of Christ. In your, in your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand, there are pleasures forever. So one time the Lord touched me. I was, I was at a restaurant, and there were some guys at the table next to me. And they were just, they were, I mean, they looked like unbelievers, but they were, you know, they, were, they were just drinking, they were cussing, they were laughing. And in a sense, part of me just kind of looked at them. I was, honestly, honestly, honestly. I was a little jealous. They looked like they were having fun. Has anyone been in that situation? You look at your, your unbelieving friends, and you just, Lord, why can't I have in that kind of enjoyment, you know? Why can't I enjoy? And the Lord showed me that at that time. He goes, don't be jealous of their enjoyment. They are enjoying, but the Bible calls that the temporary enjoyment of sin. Don't be jealous of their enjoyment. You have an enjoyment that's much higher, that's much richer, and that's much longer-lasting. At his right hand are pleasures forever. Isn't that amazing? So Christians should not be unhappy people. We should not be stoical. We should be the most happy people because we're enjoying the highest joy. Okay, now let's look at verse 3. Let's read that. Ready, set, go. All my delight is in Okay, this is a prophecy of Christ speaking here, and he is saying. All of his delight, all of his delight is in us. God delights in us. We're not trying to please, you know, you know an, an uh, a, a angry God. It's not like we have to convince him to enjoy us. All his delight is in us. So, Anyways, I was super impressed with this. And Song of Songs puts this poetically. Song of Songs 1-2, which is a picture of our relationship with Christ, um, Chapter 1, verse 2 is talking about our enjoyment of Christ, and there it says, your love is better than wine. Your love is better than wine. So we say that to the Lord. But then in chapter 4, verse 10, you know what the Lord says? Your love, it's talking about our love for Him, your love is much better than wine. Much better than wine. So we only say, Lord, your love is better than wine. He said, your love for me is much better than wine. So however much we enjoy Christ, actually, Christ enjoys us more. His appreciation and enjoyment of us is more than our appreciation and enjoyment of Him. Isn't that a liberating concept? We need to be liberated into the mutual enjoyment of the Son. Okay, I love that. I love that. All right, let's go on to the last point here under uh, this one. Uh, 1 Corinthians, is it, let me get my real sheet here. Yeah, 1 Corinthians 2.2, 2, let's read this. Ready, set, go. Okay, so based on everything we've seen so far, we need to determine one thing. Lord, I determine to know Christ, not to know anything else. I don't want to know character improvement. I don't want to know, know morality in that sense of just being a good person. I want to know Christ. And Paul's life, Paul's life was a quest to know Christ. I want to show you this real quick. His life was a quest. On the day he met the Lord, does anybody know what he asked the Lord? Remember, he was on his horse riding to Damascus to persecute the believers. The Lord shined from heaven, a light beyond the brightness of the sun. He fell down, and he heard a voice in the Hebrew dialect saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what did he say? Who are you, Lord? Lord? The first question Paul asked Christ was, who are you? We need to ask, Lord, who are you? And from day one of him being converted As a Christian, his entire life was a quest to get to know this person. We see this because in Philippians 3.10, which is 26 years later, he says, to know Him. I'm still on this quest. I want to know Him. Paul didn't plateau in his pursuit of Christ. It's like that rock. It just went up and up and up, and 26 years later he's still going up in his pursuit to know Christ. And then the last book he wrote, 2 Timothy 1.12, he finally says this at the end of his life, I know whom I've believed. I know whom I've believed. So we want to be like Paul on this quest getting to know Christ. We shouldn't be ashamed or, you know, feel, feel condemnation, but we need to realize, Lord, I want to be on the quest to know you. And at the end of my life, I want to be able to say like Paul, I know who, him whom I believed. Okay, so let's look at this real quick, how to enjoy Christ in 1 Corinthians. So 1 Corinthians does not only show us the enjoyment of Christ in 20 aspects, it shows us the secret, I love this, the secret to enjoying Christ. Let's read just point one, two, three, just up to the hyphen. Ready, set, go. One. Calling on the Lord. Two. Loving the Lord. Three. Feasting on the Lord. Okay, this is the secret to enjoying Christ. Verse Verse two in chapter one, right at the beginning, we read it. To those who call on the Lord in every place. So what should we do out here in Enchanted Rock? How about let's call on the Lord three times. Oh, Oh, Lord Lord Jesus. Oh, Oh, Lord Lord Jesus. Jesus. Oh, Oh, Lord Lord Jesus. Jesus. We need to be recovered to our amazement at calling on the Lord. We can enjoy all his riches by calling on his name. We need to be recovered to this and call in every place. Okay, number two, loving the Lord. We've already looked at that. We need to love the Lord, not just believe him and trust him, but Lord Jesus, I love you. We should say that every morning, Lord Jesus, I love you. First thing when we wake up and we come back into consciousness, oh, Lord Jesus, I love you. And number three, we need to feast on the Lord. We need to keep the feast. That's what 1 Corinthians 5.8 says. Keep the feast. That means the entire Christian life should be a life of feasting. And to have a feast, guess what, guess what you need? Food. Food. And guess what else you need? A mouth. a mouth. And you need people. I mean, it'd be a pretty lonely feast if you're just there by yourself. But a feast is with multiple believers. So although individually you need to call on the Lord, Individually, you need to love the Lord. That's personal. That's private. That's affectionate. You need to come together with some other lovers and callers and feast on the Lord. Amen. And I want to read you this verse. is Deuteronomy 16, 15, and 16. It says this, You shall keep the feast to Jehovah your God for seven days in the place which Jehovah will choose. For Jehovah your God will bless you in all your produce and in all your undertakings, Therefore, you shall be nothing but joyful. So when we come together with the Lord's blessing, we're offering up what we've enjoyed of Christ, we should be nothing but joyful. It's a secret to enjoying Christ. All right, we'll just kind of finish off here um, with these last couple points. I don't have too much to say because, again, if we enjoy Christ, we will experience the growth in life automatically. Oh, actually, I got one application here. Let's go ahead and read brothers on 1 Corinthians 3:1 and 2. Sisters on 3-6, all together on 3-9. Brothers, ready set, go. And, and I, brothers, was not able to speak to you. As a spiritual man, as to bless you. I asked to infinity in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food. For you were not yet able to receive it. But neither yet now are you able? Sisters. Altogether? You are God's cultivated land, God's building. Okay, um, so here again is the the issue with the Corinthian believers. They were infants, so they needed to grow. And to grow, they needed to start enjoying Christ, be brought back to God's portion and God's center for them. Um, So God causes the growth. Okay, one thing I really wanted to point out, though, is... um, a lot of us may be enjoying Christ. We, we may be enjoying Christ, but there's, there's actually more that needs to happen than just putting the food in our mouth and eating. We also need to digest and assimilate. Yeah. And so some of us at periods in our life suffer from spiritual indigestion, spiritual indigestion. In other words, we take in the food, but, the, but because we're not open to the Lord speaking in that, in that enjoyment, in that food, uh, we actually don't digest that portion. It just passes through us, or maybe we throw it back out, you know? And so I had experience with this in college my sophomore year. I just kind of exposed myself here a little bit. I was sitting on the couch, and I was eating this book that I know Neil likes, The uh, Living and Practical Way to Enjoy Christ. And there was a portion in there called Spiritual Indigestion, right. Spiritual Indigestion. And I'm sitting on this couch reading this portion, and, and I, was, I was so enjoying it. And the Lord spoke to me. Uh, he, he reminded me that I had stolen an article of clothing in high school. i stolen an article of clothing. I actually stole it out of the mall. I mean, I know. And uh, and this is like two years later. And I, you know, in a sense, I considered that my lucky pair of shorts because I kind of got out of there, and I wore it under my pants. And, you know, I, I'm serious. That's, that's what I did. And the Lord touched me. You need to go back to that store... And pay for those pair of shorts and tell them what you did. And, oh, man, I was wrestling. I was like, no way. That's, no way. Who does that, right? Who does that? That would be so awkward. And the Lord was like, the Lord was not letting me go. He's like, you want to digest this portion? You got to do it. And so I got my car, I drove up to the mall, went into that store. And, I mean, it was so awkward. I was like, uh, actually, I need to see a manager. You know, I need to, I've got an issue. And a uh, manager lady comes up to me, she's like, What can I help you with? And I told her a couple years ago I stole an article of clothing and I want to come apologize and I want to pay for that. And I want to know if I can pay extra, you know, since it's been a couple years. And, uh, <clears throat> anyways, uh, she, she actually didn't, she just, she was like, Wow, I can't believe you would do that. You were touched to do that. And, you know, that's good enough. I accept that and let me go. So, anyways, praise the Lord, right? <laughs> but uh, I, I had the money, so I was ready to pay. So that. And guess what? That food got digested. That food got assimilated. And so sometimes, you know, the Lord, we may be enjoying Christ, but the Lord may be touching us about something, trying to break through in something. And we can't just write that off and say, well, I just, I'm enjoying. Yes, you are enjoying, but are you digesting? Is the food getting assimilated and becoming a part of, a, part of you? Is there an openness? Is, a, is there a thoroughfare to the Lord speaking? So whenever the Lord speaks something like this, I can just testify. Things like this have happened numerous times. It's always much better and in the long term way more enjoyable. As embarrassing as it may be to apologize, to say something, to go to somebody, you will not regret that. And much more, the Lord will finally gain a thoroughfare in your being and be able to uh, dispense himself into you for your growth in life. If we don't open to this kind of speaking to the Lord... We will not grow that much. So not only do we need to enjoy and eat, we also need to digest and assimilate. Amen. Amen. Okay, we'll stop here. Let's just go back to the very top and read this italicized portion again. Remember, this summarizes the whole thing. Let's read it. Ready, set, go. Go. Okay, let's just take a minute, pray with your neighbor two by two for anything the Lord spoke to you and touched you about. And then we'll uh, turn it over to the brother and see what to do next.